Hey there, welcome back to the Path to Zion podcast where we are rediscovering the ancient way. Thank you for tuning back in. We have been recording videos like crazy here. I'm not sure how and in what order all these are going to come out, but I've been doing the 10 for 10 series. I'm about seven episodes in right now. Um, and so they're going to be 10 minute episodes on 10 different topics of discussion and commentary. Um, this one was going to be another one that was going to fit within the confines of the 10 minute time span. No way, no how. Next thing I know, um, it became four pages typed. And so what are we going to talk about today is this question that you have already seen likely in the heading is, can men guide other men to truth? Can men like you and me guide other men to finding the truth? Um, and the key word here is guide. And, that, and that's really what launched this discussion today. Um, and and the, the account we're going to use um, in just a, a couple minutes to launch us into this discussion is going to be the account with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch um, coming from Acts chapter 8. It is a very intriguing account. I have been fascinated with it um, for years. Um, and even today, I will say, I want to encourage you to look into this account and like literally spend a week studying just that part of the text um, in chapter 8 of Acts because there are many questions to be asked, and this is just kind of a preface, I guess. It really is, is unrelated, and I, I, I started to write towards this historically, but this would distract us from the overall purpose of this um, series here. But I want to encourage you because, friends, the Bible is so incredible. I cannot get enough of studying it and going over here and going over here and then taking me over here. And we go back 100 years and we go forward 1,000 years. <clears throat> Friend, there's nothing like it. And all of it is this orchestration of this incredible ancient gospel account, this gospel story that is just it is, is immeasurable. It is immense. I hope you know that, and I hope you experience that daily in your life to give the appropriate time to study to show yourself approved. That being said, um, I would encourage you to look into the account of, of this Ethiopian and who he was and how far he had traveled to go to Jerusalem and why was he in Jerusalem. It's, it's, it's very understandable if we know anything about feasts and Sabbath and, and the ancient way that went through Yeshua and out the other side, the prophesied new covenant. Is, he, was, he was almost assured, most assuredly um, going to observe one of the pilgrimage feasts. Um, perhaps it was Passover. Perhaps it was Sukkot. We don't know. We're not told. But he was on his way back from um, traveling to Jerusalem. And, and there's a lot of questions about, like, he went to Jerusalem to worship. And there are some, some biblical criteria about eunuchs in the temple. And it comes from Deuteronomy. You can look into that. There's, there's all these different layers. And so, friend, dig out the word of Elohim historically and spiritually. All of it. I mean, it is—we could literally—I could spend— I spent hours today. I could have spent every hour of my day studying this text. One chapter. And, and even just the one chapter, I barely touched even part of this one chapter. I hope you know the word like that, friend. I hope it just gives you life. And it is a living, living word. It's active, right? I know it's distracting. And some people say, can you just turn on the recording and talk about the, the text? No, I can't. I'm elaborating about why I even do, why this camera is even on, and why we're here today. Um, now, 
to get to our point, for those of you who are already clicking through because you have patience of like TikTok videos, and if it's 30 seconds or more, you have to go do something else, can men guide other men to truth? Now, this might seem like a very easy topical question to answer. Well, of course, yes. Don't we know the Bible? Um, Yahweh uses men all the time um, to speak to other men. But what a lot of people don't realize, if you're not um, aware of this with other individuals or if this has not been part of your journey of where you came to know Messiah and walk out Father's ways, depending where we all are in the journey, what a lot of people don't realize is there are many, many people who do not live according to being dependent upon other people to speak the word of Elohim to them and help lead them to truth. That, that is the word we will examine here that, that came up in the text in Acts chapter 8 <clears throat> with the Ethiopian and Philip is this word guide or lead, okay? Now, I personally have sat in many gatherings over the years um, where people who had been what I like to um, exempt, uh, kind of highlight partially, okay, partially freed from the powers of the lording over um, versions of the religious system, um, and they would say, I don't need anybody else. Um, Holy Spirit is my teacher. I went through that phase myself, I don't know how many years ago now, um, maybe 17 years ago. Um, the Father really opened our eyes to religious church. I had been a youth pastor at two different Baptist churches, and we had just done everything and been a part and served and volunteered and <clears throat> sometimes willingly, sometimes with drudgery. We had done it all, all the, all the Christian church stuff. And we came out the other side and just started asking questions saying, is this really it? Is this, is this the body of Messiah? Is this Father's plan for his people? Are these just weekly gatherings where we just do the same thing forever and always talk about getting people saved and having the same songs and the same altar call and the same messages over and over and over again for the rest of our lives? So as we questioned that, we journeyed out. And we began to do home gatherings. We began to meet in informal ways. But the same problem permeated a different facet of the gathering, which went, it, the pendulum swings in our life um, with our religious experiences. We may be charismatic, and then we have a moment or a season or uh, an understanding comes, and we swing out, and anything that even causes an emotional stir, oh, no. We have to guard that. That can't be what the Father's saying because he's not about our emotions and we're not hyper-spiritual. And so we swing out and swing all the way over. And we could go through all these examples, of course, to make a point. It's probably unnecessary. But to my specific point, when we swung out of the religious system, we got real arrogant. Well, we don't need anybody. Holy Spirit is our teacher. We'd quote the verses with great regularity, and we would slam the organized religious church, which is a necessary thing to do at times. It's very full of, of, of issues um, that holds people back from maturing and changing and growing into the sanctification process, likeness of Messiah. It is prohibitive of that. It's not beneficial, really, in any way. It perpetuates lethargy. Everybody, most people know this, but we came out, and we swung out the other side and just, we don't need anybody. We don't need a teacher. We don't need a message. We don't need anything formal. We don't need a list. We don't need a, and we just, me and Jesus, me and Jesus, me and Jesus, week after week, after week, after week, after dinner, after discussion, it was always me and Jesus. And we had, we had swung out so far, we had no need, this group of us, we had no need, from my opinion and vantage point, we had no need really for anybody else. 
um, we were unto ourselves um, a a free people, I guess. That's what we thought. We really did believe that. But in many ways, I used to be there myself, as I'm trying to explain. And as I was breaking free from the confines of organized church, I would agree that there's a proper proper dose that is necessary to like to rightly make the separation. You've got to get to a place. If you're just attending church, attending church, attending church, attending predictive gatherings, attending things that like nothing ever changes and all these different things, <clears throat> you know in your heart of hearts whether or not you're really changing and maturing and growing. Um, but there comes a time where you have to make a separation. Yes, I want to be clear. Um, yet for some reason, for us, we couldn't just stay in the separated state and, and kind of run along autonomous and, and only doing what we felt was right in our own eyes. Um, we felt a real caution for that. The me and Jesus reality just never really settled well with me. And as we moved out, I understood why. Um, but time after time in that season of my life, as I read the word, I saw the importance of others. I saw the need for iron sharpening iron and what that really means. <laughs> um, I couldn't escape that I just simply needed other believers to just walk with, okay? Which is confirm what I already believe and I confirm what they already believe and we're in this false unity moving along with shared interests and ideas, but not really what I would call unity of the spirit. Um, those I believe are very different. Um, I couldn't escape that I needed other people and I was lacking. I was deficient by myself. Um, and so, I would propose this. One of the dangers, and we're, we're, this is going to all matter. Please be patient with me. One of the many dangers of isolation, um, which is also found within structured church, to be clear. I mean, it, you can go to church and be isolated and individual. It is is an individualistic-based um, religion. Um, but you never need checked. You never need corrected. I mean, really, not like the pastor comes and talks to you if you hit the tambourine too loud in the service. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like beliefs, doctrinal questions, challenges, a place where you can challenge who's speaking and a place where the one speaking challenges you. And the brothers and sisters operate as a body, as a unit of sharpening one another and saying, you know what, brother, you're wrong. And he can say that to me and then prove it to me in the word. And we hash it out and we duke it out and we sharpen and we clash and we clang. Until what? Until truth comes and what? Men guide or lead even other men to truth. Okay? Now, one's doctrinal beliefs never have to mature or change if you're in this me and Jesus isolation, um, autonomous mode of, 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 I would just call whatever. We, wanna, we don't want to call it a religion. And so, like, pursuit of truth, we'll just call it very generic. Um, but in this place, error grows into this monster that one can't shake. Because, well, why? You don't have to. You don't have to change anything. You become comfortable. You stay there with your doctrines that never change and are never approached by anyone because you don't give them a voice into your life to challenge and change you. And so, thereby... You go to your grave with the same beliefs you inherited many times as a child or even as an adult, but 30, 40, 50 years later, yeah, I believe pretty much the same as I did when I started. Friend, that should not be true for us as we study the Word, which should reveal our error over and over and over and over again.
Being comfortable rules here in this place of isolation and individuality as personal discretion and personal beliefs prevail. And so right before we get to our text, I'll say this is I would propose all day long (laughs) that this is prevalent within modern Christianity. It is a me or a you, depending on how who's talking. It is a you and Jesus relationship. It's your business. I don't know how many times, even in the last five years. Hey, man, my relationship with God is between me and him, okay? Like, that, you don't touch that. You don't question that. You don't challenge that. You don't ask me a question that I don't want to answer. It is, a, as I say on here all the time, that is a no-fly zone with many, many, many people. Friend, it should not be that way. We should be able to give an answer to a question that brings provocation of our beliefs. It pokes a little bit and makes us solidify why we believe what we do. That's one of the things about this program I love is people attempt to shoot holes in what we present here. And guess what, friends? Sometimes there are some. Of course, because I'm a flawed vessel reading a book from a standpoint of limited understanding and knowledge with with no background or training in the Torah and the prophets, I'm trying to unlearn more than I'm trying to learn. And so, yeah, there's a lot going on here, and error often comes to the surface. But until I present that to other people and allow them literal entry and access into my beliefs, I'm just going to cruise. Many people do that even with programs like this. Boy, you don't question the guy on the camera. Big deal. It's a camera, and this is something that a 10-year-old child could do right now. This is nothing special, okay? We are all called to study the word of Elohim. We are all called to mature. We are all called to divide this word and allow it to cut us, change us, and make us more like Messiah so that we can be holy as Father is holy. So now we're 14 minutes in and I need to get moving. I have many pages towards this in a whole other writing that discusses um, unity within the body or disunity, depending on where you want to start. And, And I really... I really put the put the gas towards the personal salvation message that we have received in Christianity. Um, the biblical model of salvation was always familial, always familial. Okay, it was all for the good of the body. It was all for the addition of the body. It was all for the uh, consecration of the body, the set apartedness of the body. That's why feasts and Sabbath matter. Holy, consecrated, set-apart people do holy, consecrated, set-apart things. Together, they are a identifiable, capital P, people. Not an individual here and an individual there and two individuals over there on their couch and nobody ever sees them or knows them. Or those four over there, at least four, we're doing a little bit more something. But we cannot just get our Bibles out, climb into the closet, and learn everything there is to know about truth by ourselves. It is not Father's intent. He wants a family. And families go back and forth. Families argue. Families discuss. And families search out what is the way to walk together. Okay? So here's the question. Do you need anyone to help you find truth? It's a very simple question. I'm going to have a drink of coffee. I'll allow you to think it through. Do you need anyone personally in your life to help you find truth? Turn to Acts chapter 8 if you want to. And we're going to read just a couple verses. Just to go through, Stephen is brought in front of the non-believing leaders. 
and he's interrogated and his answer is just incredibly awesome. He's full of the spirit and he's divulging the entire account from from the Torah and the prophets up to right then when he's standing there. And of course, it enrages the leaders. They put him to death. Um, there's this interesting man, Shaul, there, and there's some stuff going on about persecution. Um, and next thing you know, we are in eight chap, uh, chapter 8, verse 4, and Philip is traveling. He goes down to the city of Samaria, and he begin, begins proclaiming Messiah to these people, okay? Multitudes are gathering. He's casting out unclean spirits. Um, there's rejoicing in the city, verse 8 says. And there was a certain man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic. We know about this account. This is fascinating stuff, man. Acts chapter 8 is pretty awesome. But if we keep reading down, just for the sake of time, we have to get down to verse 25. And so when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza, a desert road. And he arose and he went. And behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem. Why? We, we talked about it a tiny bit already. He came to Jerusalem to worship. Okay, look into these words. Dig out why he would have been doing that. And you'll get more more insight into how the feasts were full on, still going. Acts chapter 8, Yeshua's come, gone, resurrected, ascended to his high priestly function, and feast and Sabbath are trucking along here in this tiny little bit of time post-Yeshua before the state church came and took a wrecking ball to everything and uh, gave us what we've inherited. Thank you very much, um, state church. Um, moving on. Verse 28, And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading... The prophet Isaiah, the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. And when Philip had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet and said, hey, man, do you understand what you're reading? <laughs> this, I love this stuff. I love it. And he, the Ethiopian, says, well, how in the world could I? I'm paraphrasing some. We're, we're making this a little more enjoyable. Unless someone guides me. OK, how could I understand this unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of, passage of Scripture that he's reading was this. And he, and he quotes Isaiah, and he talks about the lamb led to the slaughter. And, of course, he's, he's asking these questions. You know, who, who is this talking about? Is this, is this prophet talking about himself? Is he talking about someone else? And all these things transpire. But I don't want to focus on what transpired. I want to focus on why, okay? As we talk about what? Can men guide other men to truth. So I have prefaced this text that we just read a little bit about my personal journey to get to where I am in just very small measure. Right now, a snapshot is I, with regularity, engage with other brothers towards beliefs, endless discussions upon scriptures, ongoing with, with multiple individuals, um, multiple topics ongoing at any given time year-round. It's a blessing. Not everybody has that. I understand that. I'm saying I'm blessed to have that, and if you don't, you need to seek it out and find it. And if you need somebody to do that, I'll do my best to do that with you, to to allow you to engage with what I present here. I always make that open. I've been emailing um, the, the articles that I write, the actual 
written part of these um, to several people who watch the program who have asked for them. I always make that available, and anyone is welcome to engage. And, and as time allows, I'll, I'll go back and forth with that if you need someone to do that. Um, and so thankfully, I have other individuals in my life that I can do this with, and we constantly go over, what do you think about this? And man, what you said last week, I'm, I don't, I've found this text here, and that seems to disagree with what you're presenting. And like, I can't imagine not having that as part of my life normally, um, day to day, like I do now. I'm, I'm very blessed. Um, we seek out the truth together. We seek it out together, and we, we all believe, okay? And not all these men know one another fully, but like, we believe that we will more fully receive, understand, process truth if we take part in peace of other considerations that are outside of ourselves, okay? We believe that men can guide other men to truth, okay? Like, this is not complicated, okay? Um, to cling to our main text, I find no issue with being humble like the Ethiopian here in, in Acts chapter 8. Um, he, I, I feel like, and I hope this is you as well, we should be confessing, who in the world can understand this? Somebody help me. I'm reading Revelation chapter 12. I'm reading something Shaul Paul said that just doesn't make sense with everything else he said. Somebody help me. Hopefully we can do that. Sadly, many people are, in, are either in an elevated position of a pastoral function or, you know, uh, whatever, that they can't be um, vulnerable. They can't be honest and say, you know what? I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what that prophet's saying. I don't know what this is or that is. Because why? We've been, we've been taught that if we don't have an answer for everything, like right that second to disprove whatever might come our way to challenge what we're saying, that we don't really know truth. You don't really even know, oh, your faith is wavering. You don't even know what you're talking about. And because we live in a microwave society, we think that we have to answer every question the second it's asked, or it can't be true, can't be true. That's, a, that's something we could really learn and practice, I think, to change. The eunuch, however, the Ethiopian here in the charity had no problem saying, who in the world can understand this unless someone guides him, teaches, trains, leads another man to this truth, because I don't know what this prophet's saying. We must be willing to be proven wrong or be, be revealed as ignorant, lacking, lacking understanding, according to the scriptures, by other men. We've got to be vulnerable, friend. I hope you are. We are all, in the, in the group of, of individuals that I hang with, <laughs> We're, we're willing and open to admit in humility we don't understand everything. We just don't. We're learning. We're all learning. <laughs> There's no need to pretend that we have it all together and understand everything perfectly because we don't. Nobody, no one does. Nobody possesses absolute truth in its entirety. We all need one another for parts and pieces for the entire truth to come into view and to be in any way discovered, revealed, understood. I hope you have this in your life is why I'm saying it. In this account of Philip and the Ethiopian, is it an anomaly? Like, if we could scrutinize this text, the, the, the ongoing event that day was the Ethiopians traveling along. I love, he's reading the book of Isaiah. Philip hears him. He's already heard the word of Elohim to send him, 
And he goes, the obedience, all these things matter and line up. And what's he do? Hey, man, do you know what you're reading? He, he is wanting to engage with this man reading the scroll of Isaiah, which is a captivating consideration of how he even had that. Do y'all know it's not like... It's not like he went to, you know, Barnes and Noble and, and got the latest edition of the Bible, you know, for twenty nine ninety nine. He had a he had presumably a scroll of the prophet Isaiah on his lap, friend. All right. These aren't on the shelf at every market along the, the desert road, okay? <laughs> this was a very big deal. Um But is this an anomaly? This this little action here that reveals that it seems that maybe other men are needed to help guide and lead us to the truth. Um, because that is exactly what happens if we read the account. He opens his eyes through the Torah and the prophets, through Yeshua, out the other side. And um, the, the Ethiopian sees water on the side of the road. Next thing you know, he's jumping out of the chariot and he's diving in. And, and, and then to top things off, Philip just zaps up into the sky and disappears somewhere. And he's translated to some other part of the country. I mean, what in the world's happening here? <laughs> so here's a quick drive-by of just a few um, of these examples worth mentioning to show this is not some strange account where a man is used by another man. Um, and some of these are kind of like positive negatives, and some of them are, are on the same team helping one another to reveal the truth. Either way, these are men being used to speak the oracles of Yahweh, to other men. And these are just a few. These are just a few. Daniel with King Nebuchadnezzar, Moses to the nation of Israel, Joseph to Pharaoh, Peter and Cornelius, Shaul Paul to the Gentiles. We could go on and on and include the prophet Nathan. He's, he's speaking what? Judgment to David. So let's just put our thumb on that for a mere second for all the people who hate being scolded and who hate being whipped by the word of Elohim because it's personal and don't you tell me I'm wrong about anything. For, for all of us who may sit in that chair um, a lot or a little, what about accounts like that where the prophet Nathan, we know the account, I couldn't tell you exactly where it is, but um, Nathan is giving them the, David this, this mock scenario of this awful man and all these different things. And David said, that man deserves to die. And the prophet says, yeah, not, you're not kidding. And that man is you. What hap what's happening? A man is being used by Elohim to, to present truth to another man, okay? And so we have to at least mention that the word of the Lord is not always something that you may want to hear, friend, okay? You do understand that. The prophecies of this hour, I saw something today. Why in the world did I even open that video? And it was such foolishness. All this stuff... God's going to open the door in 2024 and all this nonsense. They just were reciting all this stuff, you know, put her glasses down and, and oh, 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 now God is speaking, you know, because she's squinting real hard. It's just, it's foolishness. And everything was blessing, blessing, blessing to the good guy, you, and, and bad curses to the bad guy, your enemies. And it's just foolish ramblings, friend. Prophecies lead to the truth. The truth of the word now. Everything outside of that is just a whole bunch of hot air. But we do all know that, that people are used to speak to other people from the Father himself. His spirit leads men to speak 
to other men. That is really, by definition, the, the prophets. The prophets, nothing what? Nothing happens without the Father first declaring it to the prophets, and then the prophets declared it to the people. It is a biblical pattern, okay? Father uses men that properly hear him, okay? This is key. We're going to move into this here in part two, to speak to other men in order to establish his ways, his will. Um, the wisdom of Proverbs tells us this, quote, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Okay? A lot of people love the flattering lips of others just heaping accolades and agreement and agreement and agreement for the sake of false unity. But a real friend can sometimes wound you, can sometimes wound me. That's got to be okay. It's got to be okay. We should not find delightful the deceitful kisses of an enemy. Okay? Many times a true prophet, a bringer of truth, will hurt us. It will sting. It will reveal something Yahweh is saying that needs said to us in a way that cuts us to the bone and to hopefully extract that sin and that, that death um, that needs to go. I hope you have that in your life. I have it in mine. I don't like it any more than you. Nobody finds this enjoyable, but it is necessary. Um, many times a true prophet and bringer of truth will hurt us, but this should never nullify the message whatsoever or cause us to flee to someone else's counsel who's going to give us flattering words. It's okay to be challenged. It's okay to be confronted. And to keep going back to our text, the, the Ethiopian had no problem, no area of offense. He could have easily, he could have said two things, and then we'll cut it off and we'll go to uh, the next part here. He could have said these two things hypothetically. Instead of what he did, he could, he, we know he humbly responded when, when asked, do you understand what you're reading? He could have said, hey, man, I have Holy Spirit to teach me. Holy Spirit's my teacher. That's it. If he had heard that before, if he had heard that, what would be recorded later, Holy Spirit is now my teacher. He could have said that, or he could have said a, a second option. He could have said, man, who do you think you are telling me something I don't know? I, I know what this guy's saying. He could have done that. He could have said, yes, I know. I understand this, this prophet Isaiah fully. Can't you see? Look at me right in this chariot with a wonderful Torah scroll on my lap. Okay? This scroll of, of Older Testament text. Prophets. Okay? He didn't do those things. He said, friend, who can understand this? Who can know what this prophet is saying? And he says, hey, come up here and join me in my chariot and just have a seat. You know what? Why don't you guide me to truth? Why don't you lead me to truth? And friend, look what happened. Look what happened. An incredible result. Why? From humility and willingness to say, you know what? I don't understand everything. I hope we're like that too. We're talking about this question, can men guide other men to truth? We're going to answer that question, hopefully in more fullness here in part two, which will be a conclusion. You're watching the Path to Zion podcast. We're rediscovering the ancient way. Go to pathdesign.com. Find us, of course, on Facebook. In our community section of YouTube, I'm still posting this stuff, man, almost every day, at least every other day. Uh, so go check it out and subscribe if you want to. Um, thanks for watching. Amen.